you are listening to The Janine Garner Show. Janine is a leading expert on leadership and driving influence through networking and collaboration, passionate about bringing brilliant people together to achieve remarkable results. Join Janine Garner as she shares insights, interviews and conversations, and let's together make the remarkable happen. Welcome to the latest episode of Unleashing Brilliance. Today, as my guest, I have Alison Fleming. Now, Alison is the General Manager of Finance for Centre Group, and she is also a Fellow of the Chartered Accountants of Australia and New Zealand, with over 20 years of corporate and business experience. But as she often says, she can't stand being defined by a job title and worries about the image that all of that might conjure up for people that meet her. Uh, You know, we all have these wonderful images of accountants in our heads sometimes. But what she is, the thing I love about Alison is she's absolutely passionate about the work she does and the work she does as a leader. Um, She has spent her entire career uh, practicing leadership, learning about leadership with the absolute intentionality of becoming the best version of herself that she can be. She's also an avid diversity and inclusion advocate for both her business and uh, and the industry at large. And she sits on the New South Wales uh, Regional Council uh, for the Chartered Accountants of Australia and New Zealand. And she's on the advisory board for a number of startups. So as she says, she's a self-confessed, I can't even say it, lifeaholic, who squeezes as much into her life, both personally and professionally, as possible. Delivering commercial success and building high-performing teams is her day job. And in her spare time, she enjoys traveling the globe and keeping physically and mentally fit. Welcome to the podcast, Alison. So great to have you Thanks, here. Thanks, Janine. Thanks. So self-confessed alcohol, uh, alcoholic. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That, it, <laughs> that, that just escalated. <laughs> I'm just going to do a big full stop there so we can take that off. So self-confessed lifeaholic. Um, what does that mean? Well, I think it... it the, phrase probably comes from my paranoia about being called a workaholic because I do get um, I do get really passionate about my work and maybe sometimes I work longer than I should but I'm definitely not workaholic a workaholic because I do a lot outside of work as well so that's why I'm probably more comfortable with um with the phrase lifeaholic because for me it's um you know it's all about just doing lots of things that I love and I love my work but I also love lots of things outside of work as well. You jam so much into your life. It's incredible. Um, I refuse to say the word busy um, because I think actually we shouldn't say that. I can you are incredibly productive and make the most of every single moment. Give us an example of some of the things that you do um, over the course of your normal year. Yeah, oh, a year. It feels so long. Um, well, you know, as, as you mentioned, so I'm General Manager of Finance for Centre Group. I also sit on the, um, the CA Regional Council for New South Wales, which is um, a new role for me just of this year and an opportunity for me to have a bit of an input into, um, I guess, what the future of my profession looks like. So that's been fun. Um, I'm working with a few uh, startups, which has been really great experience for me, you know, working with my day job being um, kind of in a very mature industry it's really great to work with um, with some startups on um, you know new initiatives and innovation 
I um, am a member of um, a networking group that you'll be familiar with called LBD. I um, I'm a very passionate supporter of a charity called Hands Across the Water, and I like to go to um, to Thailand and participate in their charity cycles over there and help them out with some fundraising initiatives back here. Um, personally, um, so this this year's challenge is to do the New York Marathon again. So I'm running quite a lot at the moment. Um, yeah, and I have amazing family and friends that I see, well, not as much as I would like, but um, as often as I can. Wow, gosh, New York Marathon again. How many times have you done it? Uh, last year was the first time. So this year will be number last two. Time, oh, I thought you'd done it before that. Number two, oh, my gosh, insane. Always been one of those things I want to do, but uh, I think I'm, uh, I'm can only run up to about 10Ks now before my legs start hurting. Um, so let's take you back. Can you remember what uh, you wanted to be when you grew up and where that idea came from? Yeah, so uh, when I was at school, I always dreamed of being a physiotherapist, of all things. And I did go as far as um, doing some work experience when I was at school with a, with a physio. Um, I think because I was always into, into sports as a child and I had a few like growing pains and issues with my feet and so on and um, actually just went to a few physio appointments when I was younger and just, yeah, at the time I just had a dream that I would grow up and be a physiotherapist. Um, and now probably can you see any link with the work yeah sorry can you see any link with all the work you're doing now no not at all I guess you know <laughs> physiotherapy is really I guess you know quite science-based and um, biologically driven um, and yeah I'm probably more on the business commerce side of things now so yeah I just it is interesting how things evolve as you as you grow up <laughs> It is, isn't it? And I, and I know because you and I have sat on a few panels together uh, recently that um, you are a classic example of where people look at your achievements and where you're at in your career. Um, you know, people are inspired by by the work that you do professionally, but it's it's not been a necessarily smooth journey to there, has it? If you go back to, um, I think yeah, I heard you say on a panel the other day that, you know, was it 16 or 18 that you left home and you had to fend for yourself? Yeah, I was I was quite young. So, yeah, I was 16. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of people look at, I guess, people like me, which always feels feels funny that, you know, you, you can be a role model. Um, but people look and they think that, you know, you're in this, um, you know, great job and, and everything's been easy. And I think, you know, one of the things that I've learned over the years is everyone has a story and, you know, I love people having curiosity about what people's story is because, um, yeah, it's definitely been a learning for me is everyone has a story and a journey. And, um, you know, for most people there's, um, yeah, there's been some challenges if they've managed to, um, you know, get, be successful and, you know, carve away for themselves. Can you think of a uh, watershed moment in your life that's um, got you to here or that's affected your decision making over the last few years? Uh, I think, you know, it was probably around, um, I'd say, uh, five or six years ago that um, somebody pointed out to me that all of my career moves had been the result of a tap on the shoulder. 
and and you know that I was probably at a level of seniority where that was going to happen less frequently so that if if I did you know still want that ongoing progression uh, I was going to have to play a more active role in in really driving that and being specific about you know, getting the clarity for myself about what I wanted and then um, being specific and brave enough and, and asking for help in that space. And that was a real light bulb moment for me because, um, you know, I had been really fortunate in that I'd had, you know, so many great career opportunities and great roles and worked with amazing people. I'd never, I'd never looked back and thought, oh, wow, I've actually not, um, not really driven this, not to say I didn't work hard and make the most of the opportunities, but I hadn't driven a lot of that myself. Like opportunities had come up and I'd accepted it and made the most of it. So that was really fantastic advice for me and something that I've worked a lot harder at over over the past five years. Can you tell us a little bit more of how that changed how you went about doing things? Yeah, I think, um, you know, there is a lot of research to say that women in particular are bad at, um, at, at really nailing down on that that clarity. And I think a part of that comes, you know, from a tendency to um, uh, maybe A, either please people or B, try and do too much. <laughs> so I think for me, it's really been around, um, you know, getting smarter at saying no to things and not not feeling bad about that, you know, feeling quite empowered rather than guilty. And um, and then by default, you just get, you get a bit sharper about what it is that you do want. And then once you've got that and can articulate that to other people, it's really surprising uh, how, um, I guess it's just so much easier for them to help you because you've been quite specific around what, what support you would like. Mm, I love that, uh, what you just alluded to with the courage, the confidence, the bravery to say no. Have you got an example of where almost it was quite scary to do that, but then once you had actually said those two key letters, it created that opportunity or enabled you to, to do the thing that you really wanted to do. Oh, yeah. Well, I think going back um, probably just before I moved into this role, there was um, there was an opportunity for me to, it would have been a sideways move, but probably on paper it looked more prestigious. Um, you know, when I was, uh, so I, I took six years out of finance and went and worked in the operational business and there was an opportunity for me to um, take a sideways move in the operational business and, and look after what would have been considered a more prestigious portfolio. Um, and I think, you know, it, it did take a lot of courage to say no, because I was at the stage where I was really a, a little bit restless and definitely looking for a new move. But I felt as though that wasn't new enough. Um, but probably in the past, I would have just said yes and worried about that later. But, it, you know, and then less than two months after I'd said no to that, the opportunity to, to really do something different and um, move back into finance as a, as a general manager and lead that team came up. So, um, yeah, it was a good, good lesson in when to say no. Mm. And you've, um, so you, you've worked in very sort of male-dominated industries, haven't you? Um, what were some of those industries? Yeah, so, I mean, I've been in property now for 11 years right. and prior to yeah. that I spent um, a little bit over 10 years in mining and manufacturing. Yeah, so, yeah. and now in a leadership position. <laughs> what, what have you learned from all that experience that you're bringing into your style of leadership, do you think? Yeah, I think, um, you know, with, with leaders there's, there's 
good leaders and bad leaders in both um, our female leaders and our, mm. our male leaders. So I, I definitely don't think poor leadership is gender related. Um, but I do think, you know, males and females are quite different and it's um, a good leader will recognise that and, um, and learn to work with everybody. So that's probably something that I've made an effort to do over the past few years is, um, you know, really get to know my team and what's going to motivate them and try and work with them all um, individually and get the team working well um, in that respect. I think the other thing about leadership is um, is getting the team to recognise that, yeah, everyone has had a journey and everyone is bringing their own stuff to work. I found a lot over the years people always come to work and they'll be having a few problems and because they're having a problem, they think that they're the only one going through something at the moment. And um, the more you can get your teams just being really open and transparent with each other so that everyone's got an appreciation for all the elements that are going on with their colleagues' lives, um, you know, that that's when true team magic starts. Can you, do you have an example where things weren't so great and uh, maybe as a leader you did the wrong thing? Because I think that we talk so often about uh you know, positive leadership or negative, and it's like two ends of the spectrum. And yet, um, you know, leadership is a practice. It's a continuous journey, journey and exercise in perfecting, getting better at what it is that we're doing and how it is that we are mobilising people towards that bigger goal. Um, and I think it's really great to be able to share when you look back and you go, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that's that's how I did that. But equally, the lesson in it. Have you got an example that you can share with our listeners? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> it's probably not so comfortable to share it, knowing that people might listen. But, um, you know, I think, you know, a couple of years ago I was, uh, I was leading a, a project and um and I think uh, it, it was it was sort of rebranding one of our our assets and bringing it into the Westfield portfolio and um, you know probably quite naively I thought um, you know because you know okay it was probably the story I was telling myself in my head was um, okay you're you're a great leader you've got this you can take the team on the journey and we can we can do this really quickly um, so definitely the pace of change that I was trying to impose on the team at that time was absolutely an example of very poor leadership um, and also not not communicating to them what my vision was so so this was I guess bringing you know it, it was a situation where we were bringing um you know two cultures together so the culture from a an, another organization into what was at the time um a Westfield culture and um and and then trying to move move forward whilst still um you know running a day job and and interacting with uh, with both retailers and um, and our shoppers, and I think I really underestimated what I was trying to change and how quickly I was trying to change that, and the expectations I had on people um, whilst just trying to to deliver their day job and make it all look seamless. Um, so that that was, and you know, the the cracks there started to come through. People were getting ill because we were working such long hours, and and you know, in my mind, this was kind of going to be a really, you know, huge twelve week effort, and then we would um, just be able to move on with um, with with life. And the reality is, that's 
you know, more than five years ago now and some of the things that I was planning to achieve in 12 weeks are still outstanding. So, um, you know, it was an example where I just had very high expectations of what we could achieve as a team and um, didn't didn't take them on the journey well enough um, and really underestimated the time that we would need to, to deliver on, on everything that we wanted to do. And how has that changed how you're leading subsequently? Are you... Have you made some changes to your to your style as a result of experiencing that? Yeah, I think um, so. Uh, uh, <laughs> I know we're not allowed to call them weaknesses these days, but let's call it a development opportunity for me. Is I'm I'm very oh. action biased, and probably how I try and temper that these days is to be a lot more collaborative with um, not only my leadership team, but I'll often call on you know different parts of my broader team um, and go to people at the at the front line um, for advice on you know what what I'm thinking, what I'm planning. Um, I'll also try not to get too far down the path of my own planning before I start those conversations. So I think these days I try and get a loose framework and then really start socialising that with other people to get their um, to get their buy-in because, you know, the, the whole argument for diversity of thought and, um, you know, two heads are better than one, it's, it's they're all cliches but they're also true as well and I think, um, you know, I've learned over the years that you, you just get a better outcome by engaging with others early and often. Mm-hmm. What's what's the best piece of advice that someone's given you? Oh, so many gems. Um, I think the the phrase that constantly runs through my head, and I'd be quoting Peter Baines, who I know you've had on this podcast previously, um, around uh, that hope is not a strategy. So. Um, so many times I'm I'm in environments where people say, oh, I hope that happens. Um, or even my self-talk will sometimes be, oh, I hope for this. And immediately in my head through having spent a lot of time with Peter is, well, that's not a strategy. Like, it, So if that's something is, is what you genuinely hope for, what is your strategy and how are you going to go about achieving that? Mm, that's fabulous. Um, and obviously you've made lots of transitions over the course of, of your career to ultimately be where you're at. What are, what are some of the choices looking back now that, that you know you made uh, consciously um, that have almost opened the door and helped you become who you are right now? Yeah, I think if I had to articulate it in one word, it would be curiosity. Um, I, I'm, I'm probably, I, well, I definitely don't think I'm the, the brightest accountant, um, but I've always been really curious. And I think that curiosity and just, you know, when I joined um, this business, I, I was really, I hadn't worked in property previously. I was really curious about, you know, how, how our operational business worked, how things were structured, why do we do things in a different way, who are our key stakeholders. And I think um, having that curiosity and really just trying to engage with the teams is definitely what opened up the opportunity for me to then go and work in our operational business, which, you know, then I think, you know, really opened up opportunities in terms of, you know, leadership and um, and managing quite large teams. So, um, yeah, I think just having a high degree of curiosity will always open up a lot of doors for you. That's fabulous. Who, um, who in your life has been one of the most influential people that you've met and why? 
Oh, I think, um, you know, my grandmother was a fantastic, uh, like, role model and influence on me. And I think, you know, she's still one of the um, the bravest people um, I've met. You know, she um, she grew up in, in during the war in, in Europe and um, fell in love with my grandfather and they they moved to Australia um, with, with nothing and carved a life for themselves. And I think... Um, you know, we were always taught growing up to be really grateful for, for what we had, um, but um, don't settle for anything. So really believe in yourself and um, and try harder. And I mean, we, we were her grandchildren, so of course she thought we were amazing and that we could achieve anything. But, you know, she's definitely a person who I think, you know, has has had a huge influence on me in terms of um, being brave, but then also having the confidence to back yourself. And if you could uh, be in a room with her right now, what would you say to her today? Oh, God, I would just say, yeah, thank you for everything. Um, and all those lessons that you don't realise are lessons at the time. <laughs> mm. I think, you know, all those beautiful people in our lives that we've lost, you just want that one more conversation with them to say, like, I get it now. I know what you were talking about on this day. And um, I definitely wished I'd, um, you know, had the opportunity to express more gratitude to her. Is there a moment, Alison, where I was asked this question last night, I was at a uh, event and we were talking about essentially the concept of this podcast of unleashing brilliance. And we were debating, is there a moment? Um, is it that something happens? Is it a shift in in belief? When is When is that moment where you go, you almost own the fact that you are good at what you're doing and you are making an impact. Have, have you experienced that in any way in terms of that moment where you realise I'm, I'm actually good at what I'm doing? Um, it's just now doing it better. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if I ever have that moment. For me, it's more... Um, like I'm probably more conscious of when I'm really enjoying the things versus mm. going through the motions. And I think there would be a definite correlation between, um, you know, when I'm really on my game, that that to me would be, I would definitely be really enjoying things. Um, I probably see that more in others. You know, you can work with people for a while and then all of a sudden, you know, they just take off and you go, okay, this is it. Like they get it now, they're nailing it. And, and again, I would probably say the same thing. More often than not, that's because, you know, we've created an environment for them where they're actually doing what they love. Mm. It's like you're in flow, isn't it? Yeah. At this moment. Yeah, that's right. Stopping, striving and proving and actually being being in flow and doing what you feel you're supposed to be doing. Yeah, and I think that's right. And um yeah. and doing it your way as well rather than you know, which I yeah. think comes with confidence. You know, you're sort of not not just um going through the motions and following other people's requests. You're you're really doing something that you love, probably the way you want to do it. If you could share, um, you know, Alison's top three tips for, for building a, a career that you love and that you enjoy, what would they be? Um, I think try and eliminate the word should. You know, there's a mm -hmm. lot of... Um, a lot of language around, you know, you should do this or even self-talk around I should. Um 
you know, maybe that could look more like you, you could, like you could do anything, but I think doing something because you think you should um, is a problem because that's when you get stuck in, I think, other people's dreams and um, and other people's wishes for you rather than really crafting out your own. I still think, you know, hope is not a strategy kind of fits into this um, this as well. You know, don't don't hope for something. Don't hope for a job. Don't hope for um, a career in something. Like if you really, really hope for it, figure out a way that you can, uh, you can achieve that. That might mean further study or it might mean having a brave conversation, but don't just hope that somebody is reading your mind and, and knows that, um, that there's something you want to do. Um, and I think the last thing would just be be, be a bit braver um you know the old brandy brain oh that's right and yeah that's it I'm probably channeling a lot of her having seen her last week but you know there were so many lessons in that um and I really love the the piece that she spoke to last week about um often people think the opposite of um you know uh courage is fear and, you know, once she talks you through that and you realise, well, everyone's afraid, it's just how you manage that fear, um, I think that's really powerful. Um, what's next for you? Oh, well, I don't know. Um, I think, you know, if I, yeah, if I thought about that, I just, I, I'm on a path of always being better. So I just want to keep getting better at my job, having a better impact on people's lives, Um you know, be, be better at helping people. Um, so just, just make all things better. And I don't mean for that to sound in a way that I'm not um, content or grateful for what I have, but I just think, mm. um, like, I love learning. I'm always trying to do different things. And as long as I'm, I'm always getting better and um, being better towards other people, I'll be happy with that. Do you think um, there has been an evolution in leadership? What do you see as the biggest challenges that leaders are facing right now, particularly those leaders that are running uh, large organisations and large teams? Yeah, I think it's been um, a forced evolution of leadership because I just think, um, you know, there's, there is very little tolerance for poor leadership these days. Um, I think, you know, like a, a CEO's role is no longer, um, you know, just about delivering results. You've got to deliver results. You've got to do it um, ethically, sustainability, um, in an inclusive way. And I don't think you can do that with poor leadership. Um, and there's so much transparency that, um, you know, you, you just get called out on it these days. So I think there, there absolutely has been, um, you know, a change in the expectation of leaders. But I think that's exciting for most people and um yeah it's it's very encouraging when you look forward what um you know what that could create for the future. Alison it's been such a joy to chat with you on this episode some real gems as always when we have a conversation uh congratulations on everything that you have achieved for yourself um so far and equally, thank you for being such an inspirational uh, female leader in that corporate environment that I know is already creating incredible ripples of change around her for your team and other people to aspire to. So, so that's awesome. Some of the key gems, you know, everyone has a story, absolutely. And I think um, the more of us that can have that perspective um, or that question running through our minds, it gives us an incredible perspective of what potentially may really be going on um, when when difficult situations arise or where there's there's tension in in an, in an experience. 
um, I love the story about your grandmother and, um, you know, isn't it funny, the consistency of, of messaging that we're all reading now that all those years ago she shared about being grateful, um, you know, don't settle yeah. and, and believing in yourself. It's just, you know, as you said, if only we could have them back ringing in our ears continuously yeah. um being a little bit braver absolutely um uh, you know we we all suffer fear and we're all afraid of something i don't think that fear ever no. goes away <laughs> it's just what we do with it or how we turn into it that matters um and the consistent theme for you around hope not being a strategy is interesting on a on another episode, I've been speaking to Kathy Burke, who was the uh, CEO of The Hunger Project for 20-odd years, and she talks about that same thing, that so many people had a hope for getting rid of poverty. And as she said, the same, yeah. hope is not a strategy. You need to actually do something, just something every single day towards it, and that's when you create the legacy and the impact. My last question, um, you know, we do – often get asked what do you want to be what do you want to do where are you going to go what's next um but my question for you is is how do you want to be remembered how would you love people to remember you Alison for the life that you've led uh, I think I'd like people to remember me for maybe how I made them feel so hopefully I made them feel um, important and relevant because I think that's um, you know that's really all anybody wants to feel is just like they're they're special in their own little way so hopefully that's how people feel um, about me that's awesome thank you so much Alison it's been an absolute pleasure having you on today's episode thanks Janine so lovely to chat we hope you enjoyed listening to the Janine Garner show to follow her blog, purchase her books, or find out more, visit her website, janinegarner.com.au. Brilliant people, extraordinary results.